um, so it's good to have you. We uh, are in week four of the series that we've been calling The Promise and uh, enjoyed uh, going into this series. What we've uh, been doing is, is we kind of are piggybacking off a series that we did all summer for those of you that are with us. Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, good luck. Uh, I normally tell you at this point in the message where to turn. I'm just going to tell you at this point in the message you better be on your toes. Uh, when I was a kid, we had this thing called sword drill. I don't know if any of you are familiar with it. Uh, may have been a uh, Baptist thing. I'm not sure. But uh, we had what we called sword drills, and we'd line up. We'd all have our Bible. Carol's nodding her head. It was a free will Baptist thing, wasn't it? And uh, you'd put uh, your Bible in your hand. You'd put your other hand on top of your Bible. And then they would call out a verse, a passage of Scripture, and they would say, go, and you would see who could find it the fastest and find it first. So that's kind of what we're going to be doing today. If you didn't bring a Bible or not familiar with the Bible, we'll have the words up on the screen for you to help you out because I know when I turn you to turn, when I, I know that when I tell you this morning to turn to the book of Habakkuk, some of you are going to have great problems with that. And so uh, you're going to even question if it's in the Bible. Uh, but uh, we're going there this morning, but it's great to have you. Uh, just a brief overview of what we're doing, where we're at. Uh, this summer, again, we did a, a series all summer long out of the book of Acts, and we took a look at uh, the movement, the early church, how it started, uh, how it applies to us. We're no longer, you know, a lot of people view the church as an institution uh, or an organization, but we learned in the book of Acts, we're none of the above. We're actually part of a movement. And the question was, are you a part of the movement? Or are you not? Are you part of an organization? Or are you part of the institution? Are you part of the movement? And so that was the challenge all throughout the summer as we studied uh, the book of Acts. And, and what we learned there is that we learned that uh, there was a, a promise given to us there that would empower us as people on this movement to be able to do the things that Jesus asked us to do, the great commission that he gave us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to be his witnesses, to make disciples. He knew that if he was leaving, we were going to have to have some help with that. And so uh, he, he promised us a helper, a helper that would give us power, a helper that would help us to continue the work that he was doing when he was here on this earth. And, and uh, uh, so we got this promise and this helper we know is the Holy Spirit. All right, and, and so what we've been doing in this series is we've been looking at the promise of the Holy Spirit. We've been breaking down and, and looking at who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, we've been talking about what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, we're going to be doing that today and over the next few weeks. If you missed any of the first three weeks uh, of this series, uh, you can catch up very quickly. Go to our website. Uh, there's a place out there where you can listen to the messages. Uh, whatever app you use for podcasts, search on Greenbrier Nazarene. It's available out there. Or you can order a DVD uh, from the uh, Welcome Center. But as we continue looking at this promise today, I want to begin by looking at something that, that is really a great encouragement to me. Jesus said this in the Gospel of Luke. So we're going to start out in the Gospel of Luke this morning, chapter 11, uh, verse 11. Jesus said this. He said, Which of you fathers... If your son asked for a fish to eat, would give him a snake instead? Or, if he asked for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, and we've been studying this on Wednesday nights. Paul said we're, we're all, we all have you know, 
sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all evil without Jesus uh, cleansing us and forgiving us and being our Savior for us. He says, so if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Anybody ever give anything to their kids? Huh? So if you want your kids to have good things and to have good gifts, how much more would our Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who would ask? And I love this. Now, I want you to notice the position that Jesus puts us in here in this illustration. We're the kids, right? We're, we're the young children. For those of you that have young children right now, you're living out this illustration. I thought of, of Dan and Tiffany that just had the twin girls not long ago. Those twin girls are totally dependent upon for everything in life from Dan and Tiffany and those who help them, right? And so, you know, when they're that young, they're totally dependent. And if you don't give them what they need, then they just won't have it, right? If you don't give them food, then they're not going to eat. And so in relation to this spiritual promise we've been made, that's us. We're the little kids. We're the dependent little kids that need help. And so we are absolutely and totally dependent on this promise. And God is, is who? Well, He's the loving Father who wants to give us good stuff and good things and good experiences and, and a good life. He wants to provide for us and loves to continually give us help. And this help comes from the Holy Spirit that He promised us when, when Jesus left. And don't miss this because this is, is so important. When you become aware of just how much you need Jesus. Alright, when you become aware of how much you need His help. Because, oh by the way, we can't do one single thing that He asked us to do without His help. We can't do it in our own power. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own knowledge. We just can't do it without His help. So once we realize that we can't accomplish anything in this life that amounts to a hill of beans, as Grand used to say, right? once we realize how much we need Him and, and, and we're aware of his, our great need for His help and His power and this, and His willingness to give it to us, His willingness to give us the help, to give us exactly what we need. Let me tell you something. When we understand those two things... Our great need and His desire to give us all the help that we want, we will become great people of prayer. When we understand those two things, we will become great people uh, of prayer. And I know uh, because people tell me all the time, uh, I was a, a youth pastor for, for 15 years. Uh, and then I became a, a real pastor. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now. Youth ministry is about as real a pastor as you'll ever get. Uh, a lot of challenges. But, I, you know, talking to young people, and, and I, thought it, you know, I thought it was just the teenagers, and then I became the real pastor and started having to talk to adults. Uh, you know, I, I found that it, it's pretty common all the way across the board, depending of, of the age. People tell me all the time one of the most difficult things that they struggle with in their life is to maintain a disciplined prayer life. They say it, it's so difficult for them to do, for them to, to, to have the time, to schedule the time, to set aside the time, to be people of prayer is a great struggle. And, and, and often people think that the, the issue with their prayer life is that they're not disciplined enough, that they have a self-disciplined problem. But here's the deal. Not having a prayer life is not a disciplined problem. It is a spiritual problem. 
All right? So if you're struggling with your prayer life, it's not an issue of more discipline that you need in your life, but it's a spiritual issue that you have in your life. Because if you're not a person of prayer, I can nearly promise you that if you are not praying, it's because you are unaware of the need that you have in your life, number one. Or number two, you don't believe God will help you. One of those two things. If you're not a person of prayer, one of those two things is going on. You don't feel like you have a need great enough to ask God or you don't believe God will meet that need uh, and God's not willing to help. And so when you really believe those two things, when you really get bought into that, that we need Him desperately and He wants to give us uh, abundance of, of help, and when we believe those two things, prayer will become as natural to us, listen, as breathing does. And I've talked about this before, but I don't believe that there is a person in here that has to be self-disciplined in order to breathe, right? I mean, I don't care how disciplined you are. You don't have to be disciplined to breathe. I've never met a person outside of a funeral that at the end of the day say, you know what, I forgot to breathe all day today. Those people don't talk, right? Even the least disciplined person in this room is breathing and breathes continually. Because why? Because your body knows and understands how desperately you need air, right? Your body knows and understands how desperately you need oxygen in your life. And you also know that there is an abundance of it all around us. This room is filled with an abundance of what we need for life. And we know that, and so we just continually are breathing it in, right? And so if we are not people of prayer, then, then I believe it's more of a pride issue and an unbelief issue that keeps us from breathing in this abundance of the Holy Spirit that is available to us in our lives. And so here's the connection uh, that I want us to make here in week four, and it's this. It's the connection between prayer and power. Okay, the connection between prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to show you today that that power really is ours for the taking. It really is ours for the asking. And there's a verse that I want to share with all of you this morning. It's been a great help to me lately. Uh, matter of fact, we're going to close with it this morning. Uh, but, but maybe we're going to open with it too. I'm going to read it twice. How about that? Uh, I like it that much. Maybe, maybe this will be a help to you. My hope is that it would become your prayer. It would become the prayer of our church. Maybe become the prayer of your family. It's a prayer of a prophet named Habakkuk. And I'm sure he chewed tobacco. I don't know that. Probably not. I'm sure he didn't. He was a prophet. Uh, but anyway, he prayed this great prayer that's found in the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament, chapter 3, verse 2. It says, I have heard all about you, Lord. I've, I've heard about you. I know what's available. I know what you've done, right? I've heard all about that. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, God, help us again as you did in the years gone by and in your anger remember your mercy I love this so much I love this prayer so this morning I want to take a look at two things from this verse the first is this that every spiritual awakening in the Bible was connected to a time of prayer all right every awesome thing that ever happened in scripture was preceded by a great time of prayer uh, the, and then uh, after we look at that, I want to show you five things this morning in the Bible that the Holy Spirit does 
which are only things that He can do. Five different things that the Holy Spirit does for us. But first this morning, the connection between prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit uh, in our lives. Every major spiritual awakening that takes place in the Bible is connected to a time of intense prayer. A time of prayer. And I just want to show you a few of those examples this morning. Starting in the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua, chapter 24, we read about this time that is a spiritual high uh, for the Israelites. And there is this renewing uh, of the covenant between them and between God. And verse 1 of, of chapter 24 there in Joshua tells us that it all started that when the congregation, when they came together and they presented themselves and they stood before God. And they asked for his help, right? In the book of Judges, Israel goes through these cycles. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. They go back and forth. They're hot and cold, right? And they go through these cycles where their hearts would grow cold. And they would wander from God. And they'd be disobedient. And then God, he would punish them, right? And then what would they do? Well, they would, they would realize they had, you know, wandered away. And so then they would cry out to God and ask God to help them. And God would raise up a leader or great, raise up a champion uh, in their midst that, that would help them and overcome whatever it was they were facing. Desperate prayer always precedes God's deliverance, okay? Prayer always precedes God's power and God's deliverance. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. Another spiritual high for Israel was when the, the temple was being dedicated. We saw this a few months back. We were looking at the, the life of Solomon. And, and it begins, this temple being dedicated begins with this desperate and this heart-rendering prayer that we see Solomon pray. And, and God sends down fire from heaven and fills the, the, the altar and the temple with his glory there. Uh, and Solomon tells them what God has, has said to him. And, and he basically says this, Whenever my people wonder, whenever my people get off track, whenever, whenever my people are disobedient or, or, or they go the wrong direction and my blessing is removed from them. Well, let's just look at what Solomon tells them. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. He says, If my people then, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and... Y'all are not near as excited about this as I am today. I was sweating in the early service today, and it's kind of cool in here. All right, if we will humble ourselves and pray, and he says, Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So when does God show up? When people pray. Did you ever know that? Huh? Because that's how it goes. In 1 Kings, Israel was in a place where they're basically divided between worshiping God and worshiping Baal. They couldn't really figure out who the real God was. I don't understand that because one of them was actually named God and the other one was named Baal. I don't know what made that so difficult for them. But anyway, they were going back and forth. There was this division between who to worship. Elijah gets on his knees and he prays that God would make himself known to the people. And God, what does he do? He sends down fire from heaven and removed any doubt, right? He sends down the fire and he removes any doubt that, yes, indeed, I am the one true God. The great work that was done under Nehemiah, we've studied him before as well. It happened when, as the people listened to the word of God, they confessed their sins and they called out on the Lord. They called upon his name. They called out on God's name. Listen, there is a definite connection between prayer and the power of God 
in the scriptures. There's a definite connection here in the Old Testament. But that's the Old Testament. Let's move to the New Testament because we're New Testament church, right? New Testament. Look at this. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Don't miss this one. This kind of sets the precedent for everything else right here. This is Jesus. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. There's an example for somebody here this morning. All right? He's our example to be baptized. Some of you have been struggling with that, and you need to be baptized. Let us know. But don't miss this. As he was praying, talking about Jesus, as Jesus was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Do you see the connection in Jesus' own life between prayer and the Holy Spirit? You see that? And we saw over the summer that when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, there in Acts, Luke makes sure to note when that takes place. He makes sure to note where the church was and exactly what they were doing. And Acts chapter 1 verse 14 says, They all joined together constantly in prayer. Don't miss this. They came together and prayed for ten days. The Holy Spirit came. Right? Preached a message, maybe last 10 minutes, and 3,000 people were saved. I've said it before. Now we pray for 10 minutes, preach for, you know, 10 hours, and three people get saved. But see what they did. They all came together. Prayer was the connection to the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. So again, every major spiritual awakening in the Bible is connected to prayer. A time of prayer. There's a connection. Folks, it's not hard to predict. All right? One always goes with the other. It just does. All right? So the church that I grew up in, we scheduled revivals. Uh, We had at least two a year. Typically, they would be in the spring, and then we would have one in the fall. All right? And and I'm not dissing revivals. I, I believe the church needs revival. All right, but, but here's the deal. We often think that we can set a time. All right, we can set a time and we can control all the conditions and get things just right, right, and, and get the right preacher to come or get the right evangelist to come that has, you know, the, the right messages to preach to us. And we do all of that and we coordinate it. We make it all come together. And then we'll have revival. And then we'll have revival. And again, I'm not dissing revivals, but I don't think revival is based on a calendar. I don't think revival is based on conditions that we concoct or that we put together and organize. Revival will come when we meet God's conditions and not our own. That's when we will experience revival in the church. And this will happen when we become people of prayer. You want a revival? Become a church of prayer. And we will experience the greatest revival that you have ever experienced in your entire life. That is the connection. That is where revival begins. Revival will come when we meet God's conditions and we become people of prayer. And it's not so much an organized prayer emphasis. I'm not saying, okay, we're going to start a new program at the church. All right? Programs are great. Programs are fine. Uh, But I'm going to tell you, what we need more in the church than programs is an act of desperation. Understanding how much we need God and how little of us we need. 
That's when revival comes. When we cry out to Him in desperation for His help. Can I ask you this morning, are we here yet? Are we at this place yet? Because some of you have realized that what you are doing and what you have been trying is obviously not working. And you've tried everything to fix your family. You've tried everything to fix your kids. You've tried everything to fix your life. You've tried to fix your marriage. And none of that is working for you. So are we at the place as individuals, as families, as the church to where we would just cry out in desperation to God? We need you. And He, our loving Father, will be happy to give us more help than we actually even need. Wow. Listen, we don't, we don't need a better strategy today. Uh, we, we, we don't need a better mission statement. Okay? We, we don't need an awesome idea or awesome programs or even better sermons, although I'm sure you'd like to hear some better sermons every once in a while. We don't need to be more educated, and we don't need to be more, de- more dedicated. All right? And don't misunderstand me. All those things are good, but we need something more than that. We need something much more than that. What we need, what we hunger for in our lives and in our families and in our church is the outpouring of the Spirit of God. And history shows us that it happens when people pray. There's a connection. Have I proved the point? Have I made my point? Because if I have, I'll move on. If not, I can preach on this for the next hour. Huh? Now, I want to look at five things. I'm moving on. Okay, I'm moving on. Y'all can relax. I'm moving on. But if I hadn't made a point, I can keep preaching. But five things this morning that the Holy Spirit does when He's present that only the Holy Spirit can do. I want to look at those things before we go this morning. First thing is this. He convicts. All right, when He comes, talking about the Holy Spirit here, When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. All right? It's in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 8. Don't miss this. It's the Holy Spirit that will make sin no longer appealing to you. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. Instead of something that you enjoy, it will become something that you detest. When the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. And instead of sin being appealing to you, the Holy Spirit makes Jesus and His righteousness appealing to you. And when the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin, can I just tell you, sin will be stupid and the things of Jesus will be amazing. And that is something that no book will ever do for you. That is something that no sermon you'll ever hear will ever do for you. Let me tell you, that only comes through the Holy Spirit. That only comes through His help. I'm not ever going to convict you of your sin. I don't have the ability or the capacity to convict you of your sin. The Holy Spirit does that. He's your help to overcome the sin that's in your life. So good grief, why wouldn't we grab hold of that? (laughs) And pray constantly for that kind of help. Because I don't know about you, but I need it. And I think you do too. Second thing is this, the Holy Spirit can only do. He creates awe. Acts 2, 43, it tells us everyone was filled with awe at what the disciples were doing because they knew these people. And they were just normal people, fishermen, weirdos, crazy people. 
uneducated people, right? They're looking at these people and they're in awe of what's going on, what they're doing and what they're saying and things that are taking place. And don't miss this, people inside the church and outside the church were in awe. They will be in awe, right? We think people will be awed about how sex... sex, That too. <laughs> yeah. Mama said you only say what you're thinking about. <laughs> See, I need help. Y'all may not, but I got some issues. But, you know, in, in the world today, we, we think that, you know, people will be awed with how successful we are. How successful our, our business is. Or they'll be in awe of, you know, our education or our titles or our diplomas. People will be in awe at, you know, your bank account. People will be in awe in your home. People will be in awe of the kind of automobiles uh, that you drive. Listen. It's the Holy Spirit that is awesome, and you have absolutely nothing to do with it. That's where the awe comes from and awesome, right there. When the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, people will be in awe right that, all right. They'll be in awe, but I'll tell you why. They'll be in awe of how you're living your life. They'll be in awe of how you respond to situations and to other people. They'll be in awe of how generous you are. They'll be in awe of how quick you are to forgive other people and extend grace from them. To them, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that creates awe in this world. And I'm praying that people will see that in me, and I'm praying that people will see that in you and in our church. Uh, You know, because I want them to look at us and go, I know them, and they're uneducated. I know them, and they can mess up a rock pile. But look at what God is doing in them and through them. It could only be God. It could only be the power of the Holy Spirit at work in them and through them. And that takes us to uh, the third thing I want to look at today. I love this. He transforms our appetites in our lives. I love this. Uh, Paul said to the Philippians in 2.13, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purposes. He's the one that does it. The Holy Spirit gives us a taste. It gives us an appetite if you will, for the things of God. And the only illustration that I could come up with this was thinking about tomatoes. <laughs> when I was a kid, I hated tomatoes for lots of different reasons, but I hated tomatoes. And I would uh, stay with my grandparents uh, in the summer. My mom and dad both worked, and so I would stay with my grandparents during, during the summer. I had one set of grandparents that lived on uh, Lake Conway, and then I had another set of grandparents that lived in Conway. And uh, so I was back and forth. Uh, but my grandpa, that li- grandpa and grandma that lived in downtown Conway always had a big garden. And so when I was a kid, uh, I spent a lot of time in the garden and not very much time at all in front of a TV. All right? Maybe we need more gardens in this world today, number one. Uh, but anyway, I-, I would help plant the tomatoes. Uh, I would help stake the tomatoes. I would help fertilize the tomatoes. But I hated tomatoes. 
I, I mean, they, you know, they, they were just the most disgusting thing that was growing in the garden. I, I would look at them and just, you know, I, I don't know, I was marked. I, something was wrong. That's probably what's wrong with me today is tomatoes. But, but I, I would watch my grandpa, and he would, he would pick these tomatoes, you know, in a five-gallon bucket, and we'd take them in the house and clean them up. Grandma would, you know, she'd peel them, and she'd slice them up. She'd put them on a saucer. Some of you don't know what a saucer is. She'd put them on a saucer. And my grandpa would take this slice of one of those tomatoes and he'd put it over on his plate. He'd sprinkle just the right amount of salt on it. And by the way, anybody that's ever eaten with me, you've seen me salt my food and I pour my salt in my hand and I sprinkle it on my food because my grandpa did it that way. And uh, you ought to try it sometimes. You can control exactly where the salt goes and how much of it goes there if you put it in your hand first. So if you've ever seen me do that, I learned that from my grandpa. And he put just the right amount of salt on that. And then for some reason, I never understood why, because you can cut a tomato with a fork, but he would always get a knife, and he'd cut that tomato like it was the finest steak that, you know, ever had been on his plate. And he'd cut that up, and he'd take a bite of it, and he would make that look so good, you know. But I hated him. I hate him. I would try it. I'd be, I want to be like my grandpa. I'm going to salt like my grandpa. I'm going to walk like my grandpa. He had one foot turned out. I'd walk behind him, walk in his footsteps, try to walk like he did. And I'd try to eat those tomatoes, and I'd put a bite of tomato in my mouth, and my body would immediately reject it. I, I mean, I, I don't know that it was the taste as much as just the, the texture. You know what I'm saying? It, this mushy, bleh. And I couldn't even swallow it. I mean, I, I tried this multiple times throughout my life, and I couldn't swallow I literally would have to spit it out, and I couldn't do it. I, I hated it. And, and now, uh, you know, up all through life, you know, I continued to try them from time to time. And, you know, time to time, didn't like them. Lynette and I got married. Her mom and dad had a farm. They had a garden. They had tomatoes. You know, they ate all that stuff. And I tried. And, no. well, a few years went by. And we had some tomatoes there at the house. And Lynette cut one up. And I was like, man, that looks so good. I'm going to try this just one more time because they look so good. And my grandpa ate them. So I took me a bite of tomato. And lo and behold, I liked it. And now, let me just tell you, I'm not bragging. This is a fact. Lynette and I are some of the finest tomato farmers in Arkansas. <laughs> uh, some people know. Some people have seen my tomatoes. I'm going to just tell you. My tomatoes, they've staked about this high. They've laid over. They're now spreading out across our patio, across our back porch. We pick tomatoes every year till the first frost uh, because we're just awesome like that. And we love tomatoes. But don't miss this. Don't miss this. I could do absolutely nothing to change my appetite, right? I, I couldn't do that on my own. What, what had happened at some point in time is my taste buds had obviously changed, right? And, and when that happens to you, you will find that you once had the ability to love things that you didn't love before. You'll be able to like things that you may have even hated before. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit of God does for us in our lives. He places in us a desire. He places in us an appetite. He places in us a taste for things that we never had before. 
things that we never wanted before. He gives us this appetite for the things uh, that will accomplish His purpose and for His good and the things that are good. And let me tell you something, the Holy Spirit won't just compel you to try the things of God which are right. He will give you a love. He will give you a hunger. He will give you an appetite to do those things naturally. It will just come naturally to you because you love it so much, right? And and so Paul talked about in the book of Galatians that the Spirit of God does in our hearts what the law could never do, all right? And, And I want you to think about that for a moment. What does the law do? Well, the law tells us to do what is right. Right? There's a book, there's a code that says this is right, this is what you must do. But let me tell you something, only the Holy Spirit can give us a love for doing what is right. It's only the Holy Spirit that we're able to, to love doing those things. The continual feeling of the Holy Spirit will change your appetite. And so if your appetite is for the things of this world instead of the things of God, remember first sermon? Pray. That's where the help comes from. That's where the power comes from. Pray that God will change your taste buds to work uh, through uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Because He's the only one that can do that. All right, you can't do that on your own. Number four, I've got to move on. He manifests God's power. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul basically has given us a description of a church service. There in 1 Corinthians 14, and he says, When an unbeliever comes into contact with the church and the Holy Spirit as it work in in them, he says in verse 25, The secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. They will see that. They will know that. So the question is, does that happen to unbelievers that walk in our church? Because it should that's, that's how it's supposed to work. And I'm talking about people, all right, we spent the whole summer talking about who the church is. has absolutely really nothing to do with this building. It has everything to do with you when you walk out that door. You are the church. So can I ask you, are people seeing that in your church? Are there people seeing that in, in your life? I'm talking about people coming in to contact with you that see and experience God. They see and know that God is real in your life and He is at at work in your life. Because you're the church, you're the movement. And when we encounter unbelievers like we're going to do when we walk out these doors today, when we encounter unbelievers and, 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 you know, the Holy Spirit will give us, we talked about this a few weeks ago, the Holy Spirit will give you just what you need to say. You don't have to have that knowledge all on your own. He will remind you of of Scripture. He will give you exactly what to say. If someone, you get an opportunity to pray with someone, you know, the Holy Spirit will guide you and lead you. And, And when that is taking place, let me tell you what happens. The unbeliever, they take note of something's different. They take note of the fact that you said some things to them that no one could really know unless they were looking in their heart. You prayed a prayer that, that, that touched them and, and they knew it had absolutely nothing to do with you. And they began to wonder. They began to wonder about this Jesus. Do people see that in you? Do they feel that in your church and, and in your life where the unbeliever goes, Wow, only God. Only God. Or they, they see our prayers answered and, and know it was obviously God that did that and answered that prayer and met that need. Well, they then know when they see those things that God's presence is upon us. 
That His presence is, is real. And we're going to talk more about this later on in this series. But when the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, don't miss this. He manifests His power in us and through us so that others will see Him and recognize Him. Do they see Him in you? Do they recognize Him in you? Because the Holy Spirit is the only one that can do that for you. And that power and that help comes from Him. And it's all connected to prayer. All right, y'all getting it? Y'all getting it? Last one, number five. He empowers the church. <laughs> We're definitely going to talk about this more. This is something else uh, that we'll be drilling into. But Paul says in Ephesians that it's through the Holy Spirit that God gives gifts to the church. All right? To equip His people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The Holy Spirit enables us to be able to help one another understand God. See that? The Holy Spirit helps us to help one another to really know God. And, and this is so important because in a Spirit-filled church, all right, in a Spirit-filled church, everywhere you turn, you are being ministered to and spoken to by Jesus. All right? You can't go anywhere without encountering the voice of Jesus. How would you like to always be in the presence of Jesus Christ? To always have His voice of assurance. To always have His voice of reassurance and counsel in your life. His guidance and His help and His encouragement is always around you. Always surrounding you. Always speaking into your life. Let me tell you something. That is what happens in a Spirit-filled church. That's exactly what it looks like. We're not tearing other people down. We're not arguing about the color of the paint or the color of the carpet or whether we're singing out of a book or looking at a wall. That's not what the Spirit-filled church is all about. The Spirit-filled church is about being filled with the Spirit of God and allowing God to use us to show other people who He is. And God is not a God of confusion. He's not a God of division. He's God of unity. He's God of peace. He's God of hope. And, and the Holy Spirit, when, when we're filled with this Holy Spirit and, and we had this continual feeling, feeling that we were talking about last week, He turns people into His hands and into His feet and into His eyes and into His ears and His mouth. And, and the church, us, me and you, the, the church of all places must be a place where people experience that. And see it, because if they don't ex experience it with us, where in the world are they ever going to see it at? Where are they ever going to experience it at? If, they, if they're not seeing it here, seeing it among us, seeing it in our lives, in our churches, in our families. The, these five things, <laughs> these, these five things, let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit will fill us, and these things will just pour out of us. It'll come naturally. Like filling a glass of, uh, with, with, with water. If you just continually fill it, what happens? It overflows. It runs over. It goes everywhere. It's the Holy Spirit. It's 
exactly what the Holy Spirit does. These five things are the only things that the Holy Spirit, not the only thing the Holy Spirit can do, but only the Holy Spirit can do them for us. And we need them, all five. I want these five things. I want them all. I want you to have them all. I want you to experience them all. I want our church to have them all. This life-giving presence, whether we're talking about our church or whether we're talking about our family or just in your personal life, and it only comes from intentional and intense prayer. You want what we've been talking about this morning? Our Father wants you to have it. And He will give you more. He wants you to have good. He wants you to experience these things in your life. He wants that for you. So as we close this morning with a time of prayer around these altars, and I know we've kind of shifted our service around, and we've made uh, moved our family prayer time to the end of the service. But I just invite some of you to come this morning because I feel like you need the help of the Holy Spirit. And today this altar is a good place to start. So some of you might just want to come and pray this morning. Maybe maybe uh, today you'd like to come and, and, and pray for the Holy Spirit to help you in a situation of life. Maybe to help you with your family. Maybe to help you with a situation even in the church. Maybe there's something that you've been dealing with and, and you've done everything you know to do. God, here it is. Here it is. I need the help of the Holy Spirit. You come this morning and and pray for the Holy Spirit's help. Whatever He's speaking to you about this morning. Maybe uh, decisions you need to make. Come. Get the Holy Spirit's guidance in that. His help for you this morning. Maybe you'd like to come and pray that the Holy Spirit would, would do a work in somebody else's situation today. Or in somebody else's life. Come and pray for them today. This prayer chest is filled with names of people that we're praying that the Holy Spirit will continue to draw and convict and they would become sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you would like to come pray over that today. That the Holy Spirit would just continue to work and do powerful things. Let's all join our hearts together this morning. As we pray, That's prayer is what unleashes the power today. I want to ask Robert, I, I didn't plan this. Robert, would you go back to that scripture at the beginning, that scripture out of Habakkuk? I think it would be an absolutely awesome prayer this morning for us to pray together. Those of you at the altar, just lift your eyes up. I think it would be incredible for us to pray this together as a church. Out loud. I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with with awe by your amazing works in this time of our deep need help us again as you did in years gone by and in your anger remember your mercy let's pray God we've heard all about you we know of what you've done We know of what you want to do. And we know what you're preparing for us in the days ahead. God, I thank you for this reminder today that this prophet reminds us of as he prays. We've heard all about you and we have been filled with awe at what we know. We've been filled with awe by the stories that we read throughout the Bible. We're filled with awe 
to go back and look at what you've did, what you've done right here in this church over the past 115 years, right here at this location. We're filled with awe by what you've done in our past. But God, in this time of our deep need, we need you. We need you to continue to do that work. We need you to continue to give us the power and the help that we need to continue the work that you started. That we would carry it on. And we would train up generations that would come behind us and carry it on. And they would pray this exact same prayer. I've heard all about you, Lord. I've been filled with awe by your amazing works. Help us again as you did in the years gone by. God, that's us. We need your help. And so I pray today as we understand how great our need is that we would also understand and we would make the connection. You want to so willingly give us the help that we need. And I believe when we fully understand that and we fully make that connection, we cannot go through a moment of our day without going, God help me, God help me. We would become people of prayer because it is prayer that connects us to the power that is available to us today through your Holy Spirit. God, I, I don't know what some of these people, these altars are going through, but I know we all face times and face situations where we get at the end of our rope. We run out of answers. We run out of ideas. We run out of plans. We run out of money. And we don't know what to do. God, forgive us for you being our last resort. But God, I know that when we come to you, you love us as a loving Father, and you'll help. And so I pray for those today that bring needs to you, that they would see you at work, they would see you helping, that they would see you doing what only you can do so that people will see you and know you and that glory will come to you through those situations. I pray for those that are going through a time of death with their families. Several in our community this very week have lost loved ones. I pray that you would be with them, be their source of comfort and their strength in the days ahead. I pray for those that are unable to be here today due to illness. That wherever they are today would be a sanctuary of your presence, your comfort, your healing, your hope in their lives. God, we continue to pray for the churches around us. I am so grateful and so thankful that it's not just on us here at the Nazarene Church to build the kingdom in Greenbrier, but you've placed around us a great team. And we are a team. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're trying to build the kingdom together. So I pray for revival in their churches. I pray for the power to be unleashed in their churches. Because it's about your kingdom. It's not about building our kingdom. And so God, I pray that uh, there would be a revival that would sweep through our land. And I pray that it would begin in me. I would pray that it would begin in our church, but if not our church, somewhere. So that people would see you and know you, be drawn to you, experience you in their lives. That's what it's all about. That's what we're here for. So we thank you for the opportunity to serve. We thank you for the invitation to be a part of what you're doing. I pray that you always find us faithful and you always find us obedient. 
And it's in the powerful, powerful name of Christ that we pray and ask these things today. Amen.